Well, good afternoon, everyone. Today is Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. And today we're celebrating the second anniversary of the H1B Guy here on YouTube and the H1BGuy.com. Today we're going to take a look back on the last two years of the H1B Guy platform cover a news article uh, that was released from the Department of Justice discussing more H-1B fraud. We're going to take a sneak peek at the August Visa Bulletin, as well as take your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H-1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H-1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues and the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the H-1BGuy.com. Today's live stream is proudly brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. And also by Mob Squad. If you're a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges, maybe your OPT visa is about to expire, you weren't selected in the most recent H-1B lottery, or your employer may not be filing your H-1B lottery application if you were selected, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. Well, I just am so thrilled today to be with you uh, embarking on year three as we celebrate the closure of year two of the h1bguy.com and the h1bguy youtube channel uh, it's hard to believe we are a day away now from the h1b lottery uh, portal closing uh, tomorrow is the last day for employers to submit applications and there really just seems to be a lot of unrest as it relates to employment-based immigration here in the U.S. I wanted to take the first few minutes of today's live stream, though, to put out a lot of thank yous. Um, of course, my family, my wife, uh, my parents who continue to be so supportive of me and all of the time and energy that I dedicate here to the H1B Guy platform. Uh, really just appreciate you allowing me to pursue this dream. I also wanted to thank our sponsors and our sponsors allow us to bring you two to three um, uh, content uh, live streams, uh, produced video every week. And, and I cannot do it uh, without our sponsorship. And I wanted to thank my good friend, Mark Pavlavopoulos and the team at Syndesis and Path to Canada, who have been on board now for almost 18 months. And I just really, really want to thank you, Mark, 
Um, I want to thank Allison and Jane and, and the team at Synthesis Empathic Canada for your continued partnership and trust here in me and the H1B Guy platform. I also wanted to thank my really good friend, Carl Balsmeyer, and, and Carl and his team at perm-ads.com. As I've said, they are the perm recruitment advertising leader. Um, their platform and their cost and their level of service that they provide is second to none. Uh, please, if, if you need help in perm recruitment advertising for labor certifications, uh, do not hesitate to reach out to Carl and his team at perm-ads.com. And also by Arf uh, Kamani and Jamie uh, Ravior at Mob Squad. I really appreciate your partnership and your faith and trust in helping me bring your message to a wider audience here in the U.S., Mob Squad has some very innovative solutions, and their, their partnership with the Canadian government is second to none. It's a very unique partnership. It allows them to expedite individuals looking to relocate um, to Canada or even considering options in North America. So please, please, please don't hesitate. If you're looking for alternate solutions for yourself, the team at Mob Squad is excellent, and I cannot recommend them enough. Of course, there's links to our partners that are included in the video descriptions below. And I ask you that if, if you need their services, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out and, and let them know that I sent you. Um, I wanted to take time and talk about um, some of the views and some of the hits uh, that, that we get here on the H1B Guy channel as well as on the H1BGuy.com. And over the last two years, uh, you know, I understand very small player here in uh, this little corner of immigration here on YouTube. Uh, but the channel's accumulated now over 325,000 views in the last two years. And the H1BGuy.com has over 100,000 hits. And I have to tell you that I just cannot thank you enough for those of you who continue to check out my content and continue to come back on a daily and weekly basis uh, for your latest in um, the H-1B as well as other implement-based immigration-related news. Uh, again, I, I just have to, to pinch myself and think about where we were back in June 29th of 2020, when I did that very first live stream with no audio. And I had to delete that live stream and go back and do it over again. And here we are two years later. And the channel just continues to grow. And for those of you who are new to the channel and those of you who have been around since day one, uh, I just really, really want to say thank you. I also wanted to take time to say thank you to my really good friend, Betsy, and the entire team at Tier 4 Group. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to continue to be a vital part of your organization. I have the privilege to work with some very talented and extremely brilliant individuals, and I'm just very fortunate to be able to support you all in your endeavors. I also wanted to thank a handful of other uh, customers and clients, and you know who you are, um, that allow me to continue to 
be a part of your organization, uh, utilizing my very niche skill set that I possess, uh, and offering my services to help you all solve complex work authorization issues that occur during the recruitment process. I cannot thank you enough for your continued faith and trust um, in my consulting practice. And I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your continued partnership. I also wanted to send out a special thank you to anyone who has had the opportunity um, who I've had the opportunity to consult with on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, I just hope that during our time that we spent together, I was able to provide a opinion um, and give you peace of mind with a very honest approach to your unique and individual situation. Of course, those of you know who you are, and, and I'm not going to go through the, the long list of names that I've had the opportunity to, to speak with, but I just wanted to say thank you for your faith and trust um, in allowing me to offer you uh, opinions based on my own personal experience um, as it relates to your situation. And last, of course, all of you out on YouTube who have subscribed to the H1B Guy channel, uh, to all of my followers on Twitter, those of you who follow me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Telegram, and all of my connections on LinkedIn who engage and connect with me on a weekly basis. I really, really, really want to say thank you for your views, for your likes and your comments. I, I simply cannot do this without you. And I'm very humbled by all of your continued support. So here is a cheers to year two and looking forward to what is in store for year three. Wanted to just say again, uh, if you haven't already, please like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, and click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on June 29th, 2022, a little after 2 p.m. Eastern. A lot of times I talk about the benefits of utilizing H-1B visas for staff augmentation, whether that be through initial H-1B employment, new employment via the H-1B lottery, or whether that is through potentially considering uh, an H-1B transfer, an H-1B change of employer, and sponsoring an individual who may already be here in the U.S., and this leads me to, you know, one of the uglier sides of uh, dealing with employment-based uh, immigration and a lot of the third-party consulting that is out there or what we refer to a lot of times on this channel as middlemen. And there was a post that was put out by the Department of Justice um, back on June the 23rd, and that post was titled uh, Justice Department Settles with California-Based IT Recruiter to Resolve Hiring Discrimination Claim. Uh, and the, the post from the Department of Justice goes on to say, quote, the Department of Justice today announced that it signed a settlement agreement with Springshine Consulting, Inc., an IT staffing company based in California, the settlement resolves claims that Springshine discriminated against U.S. workers based on their citizenship status when it solicited applications for employment opportunities only for those seeking sponsorship for temporary work visas. Based on its investigation, the department concluded that one, the company offered to sponsor one of the applicants who responded to the posting, 
Two, the advertisement reflected SpringShine's preference for H-1B visa workers to fill its staffing needs. And three, the posting harmed U.S. workers by unlawfully deterring many of them from applying for consideration. Under the Immigration and Nationality Act, INA, employers are not generally allowed to discriminate in recruitment or hiring based on citizenship status. Under the terms of the settlement agreement, Springshine will pay $17,000 in civil penalties to the United States, $17,000 in civil penalties to the United States, and ensure that its employment advertisements and hiring practices do not include or implement any unlawful preference for applicants with a particular citizenship or immigration status. Additionally, Springshine will train employees involved in recruitment and hiring on INA's anti-discrimination provisions. You know, when I see um, articles like this and we see the Department of Justice coming out and, um, you know, talking about fines being levied against or a settlement being levied against an IT staffing firm, um, most likely being run out of someone's basement, we, we like to joke about. Uh, there is just no place, unfortunately, for this. Uh, and to me, the $17,000 penalty was minor. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen that double, triple, quadruple, right? Uh, maybe possibly for, for every instance. The penalties need to be stiff. There's no place for this. There's no place uh, for, for undercutting U.S. workers. There's no place for directly soliciting um, individuals who are seeking sponsorship um, in order to, to, to grow your business, right? And, and the point is... Staffing is already hard enough, right? The demand on talent is extremely high. And as we see through um, these extensive layoffs, which continue to happen here, um, the fraud as it relates to the H-1B visa is something that continues to tarnish the H-1B visa when in fact the H-1B visa should be what I would call supplemental uh, talent acquisition. And anytime I have an opportunity to talk to a a prospective client or or I consult with an organization, one of the questions that I always ask is, how much is this going to cost your business, impact your business, if you are not willing to consider sponsorship? Now, I'm not saying you go out and advertise that you were only seeking to sponsor. I'm saying that we have to open this up. The candidate pool has to be open. Employers need to consider every avenue possible, especially when we're talking about high tech. And specifically, when I refer to high tech, a lot of that is code, hands-on code. And I think what we see is this trend now that, that's occurring is that a lot of niche technologies uh, generally are um, individuals that are on temporary work visas. Niche meaning uh, very high tech coding roles, software engineers, software developers, uh, systems analysts, programmers, uh, the, the percentage of candidates now in this particular space is, as we look at dev, a lot of it is on temporary work visas. And so that's where it goes back to me and what I've talked about a lot. And we look at um, the way that the, the green card backlog is currently situ situated and structured. And that is, I've been a proponent of clearing the backlog. Why? Because we have individuals that have been living and working here in the U.S. on H-1B visa seven, eight, nine, ten years. 
if those individuals had freedom of choice, right? Freedom of choice to choose who they work for, where they work and how much they're paid, it would absolutely change the labor market and labor conditions that, that we're currently seeing. Some of the stats that I continue to talk about and why employers need to consider sponsorship as an avenue for talent acquisition is that for every one H-1B employee, two American jobs are created. These are stats that have been around now for several years. That is not going to change. High tech creates jobs. It just does, whether that's in accounting, whether that's in customer success, whether that's in human resources, whether that's in design, high tech, engineering, software developers, programmers, they help create jobs. Why? Because of the innovation and the technology that's driven behind their roles. And so I think employers now, all the way, big tech, all the way down to startups who are more flexible and who are more willing to consider sponsorship as an avenue for talent acquisition are the ones that are going to continue to win this war on talent. And so I wanted to talk about this because one of the things um, that always comes up when we talk about the H-1B visa is H-1B fraud. And for any of you who have followed this channel for any amount of time over the last two years, you know that I've covered H-1B fraud now on no less than a dozen occasions, and I will continue to do so. Yes, I am a proponent of the H-1B visa. Why? Because I've seen firsthand how it benefits not only individuals, but employers. It's a mutual benefit. And for me, when we see fraud that's existing, there is no place for that. There just is not. And so I'm going to continue uh, to bring attention and awareness to these uh, situations where we see settlements, um, where we see organizations that are um, experiencing uh, claims as uh, fraudulent claims against them. And we're going to continue to uh, to bring light and, and attention to these issues. But that doesn't mean that the positive of the H-1B visa, the options that it provides to employers and individuals um, is, is of value. The value continues to remain historically high. Why? We've seen over eight 483,000, 483,000 electronic H-1B registrations that occurred from the beginning of March till the, the middle of March. And those 483,000 registrations were for 85,000 spots. We then saw USCIS subsequently select 127,000 uh, individuals registrations uh, for those 85,000 spots. Why? Because USCIS over the last couple of years through this electronic selection process um, has seen response rates after the first selection uh, hovering between 65 to 70%. And so when we see USCIS selecting 127,000 individuals for 85,000 spots, this is USCIS publicly stating to us that they only expect there to be somewhere around a 66 response rate. And so with tomorrow being the deadline, um, a lot of you are asking what happens if over 85,000 applications are received. Uh, and that goes back to, to me, I have to believe that it's going to be a first come first serve basis and how they're going to process those cases. Um, I know a lot of you are curious about my thoughts around um, whether or not there's going to be a, a second lottery. Um, uh, a, a lot of that still to me, as I've, I've been on the record multiple times now, 
Um, and, and I've stated that that I believe that if, if the second lottery, I do believe that it will occur. Um, but I believe that what are we looking at from a timeline perspective? Again, somewhere between July 22nd and August 5th, um, maybe even into August 6th or 7th, as late as that. Uh, but I believe that anywhere between this July 22nd through August 5th, uh, USCIS will either hold a second random selection or that they will put out a notification um, that the HCAP quota has, has been met for 2023, for fiscal year 2023. So we'll continue to monitor this over the next couple of weeks because, uh, of course, this is going to progress very quickly. Um, if we look at how July is, is currently structured, there's, there's really only three Mondays um, in the month of July, because I'm, I'm removing the 4th of July as, as a federal holiday. Uh, so when we look at how quickly July is going to, uh, to unfold, it, it's going to go by very quickly. And for a lot of us who's, um, who are here on the East Coast, uh, our kids will be back in school before we know it with that August 1st being a Monday. Um, so I, I, I truly expect somewhere between July 22nd and, and August 5th, we'll have an update on whether the cap was reached or whether or not a second selection was going to be held. Uh, just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already to please like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications. If you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can currently do so through the super chat function here on the YouTube live stream. Um, you can also do so if you're watching this at a later date through the super thanks feature um, that is relatively new to YouTube. If you're looking for other ways that you can help uh, support and produce content that is put out on the H1B Guy YouTube channel, um, there are ways to do so in the video description below. Um, again, just wanted to thank everyone who's taken time here to join me on this second anniversary live stream. Um, it is hard to believe that uh, we're now two years removed from the launch of the H1BGuy.com and the launch of the H1BGuy YouTube channel. Uh, for everyone who's taken time to uh, like any of my content, to post comments, good or bad, to connect with me on Twitter, to follow me on uh, Facebook or Instagram, who's involved in my Telegram uh, channel. Just thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, I, I cannot do it without you. I wanted to jump into um, what's kind of becoming a, a, a bit of a tradition now towards the end of each month during these live streams is, is do a little bit of a sneak peek on what I think could possibly be happening for the August Visa Bulletin. Um, of course, Friday is July 1st. Um, I'm currently in the process of finalizing uh, my predictions, the H1B Guy forecasts uh, that'll come out on Friday. Um, so, you know, right now, this is just a bit of a sneak peek as to, to where I'm at from an opinion standpoint. Of course, uh, this all could change in, in the next 24 hours. Um, but before we jump into uh, the, the, the August uh, Visa Bulletin sneak peek, one thing I wanted to talk about is um, the lack of transparency from USCIS as it relates to adjustments of status. And for a long time, it, it felt like we were receiving timely updates over the quarter 
on USCIS's processing capabilities and the amount of adjustments of status that have been processed for employment-based green cards. Um, I think I saw a tweet from uh, David Beer earlier today uh, that said that we are 90 days now um, removed from the second quarter. So basically a, a full quarter, right? The end of Q3 now, and we still don't have reporting uh, from Q2 for fiscal year 2022. And so not only are these processing delays continuing to be persistent, uh, now we're seeing a lack of transparency and communication to which USCIS is legally obligated to report on. And so I'm hopeful that we will see some updates on the reports, but my concern is that they are woefully behind in processing um, adjustments of status for employment-based green cards. And yet they've continued, they meaning the Department of State, the Department of State has continued to aggressively advance the dates for NDA EB2, um, both in final action and dates of filing. But this is something that we have to continue to monitor. And another thing that we've talked about a lot is the service centers, right? We, we've talked about the Nebraska Service Center uh, and the Texas Service Center. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of you that filed in fall of 2020, October, November of 2020, um, whose case has not moved. And you're still waiting. And, and that case is sitting in Nebraska. So the question becomes is why? What is going on that we have cases now that are almost 19 months old, 18, 19 months old, and we're in a situation where, you know, receipts have been received, but nothing else has been processed. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really very discouraging. And so uh, I'm hopeful that we'll see some sort of update on the Q2 processing if we go back and look historically, kind of going back to 2020, and we look at USCIS's processing capabilities, uh, we look at what they did July and August and September of 2020, uh, as well as we can go back and, and point to 2021 and, and look at their processing from, from 2021 and the capabilities um, where they really, in that last quarter, significantly increased. Um, the amount of cases that, that were processed for adjustment of status. Uh, so I'm hopeful we'll see that. But at this pace, we may not see that data now for um, until 2023, which is a joke. So I'm hopeful that we'll start to see some transparency. Uh, we'll get some of the reporting on um, these adjustments of status that have been filed and, and have been pending. Um, of course, I know a lot of you will keep me up to speed as, uh, as, as, as your case progresses, um, but please continue to keep me notified. I, I definitely am curious and, and interested from a, a grassroots level to know um, where you stand individually. As for the August visa bulletin, you know, August has been a month where we've seen some movement over the last couple of years. And when we start to look at Hey, where did where did July stack up? Of course, you look at you know EB one continues to remain current. That seems to be a given. Um, we look at EB two, um, which only a month ago jumped a full year, um, and then we saw another you know ninety one days of forward movement in in EB two 
for for final action. And if we look at India EB2, you know, dates of filing, uh, we saw 31 days of forward movement, but yet USA USCIS is only accepting final action dates. So that leads me to believe that we could see some incremental increases in August. And you may be wondering, well, what, what do I mean by that? Um, and I think it's possible that we could see uh, final action dates and dates of filing um, at a minimum move forward at least a month. So 30, 31 days forward. Um, I think that it's possible that we could see maybe 60 to 90 days as well. I don't think we're going to see much more than that because when we start to look at where that's going to put them and we look at the I-140 approval numbers that that occurred for 2015, uh, it feels like March or April may be the maximum that, that we see um, from either August or, or September. And as I've talked about, you know, this year for EB2 feels a lot like it felt last year for EB2 for India and, and even China. And that was some significant advancement. And then we saw in September's bulletin, um, you know, getting to that that 2015, um, you know, date. So uh, very interesting to, to see, you know, what's going on here, of course. You know, EB3 for both India and China, very little uh, movement, um, actually no movement uh, when we look at, at at going all the way back to November. But for the entire fiscal year, you know, retrogression has been all that we've seen. Um, but ironically for China in EB2, we did see a month of forward movement for final action. Um, as well as, you know, in, in dates of filing. And this is what's what's interesting. In dates of filing, we saw a month of forward movement. And that was the first time that we had seen forward movement from China and EB2 for, for all, almost six months, I believe. Um, so the question becomes when or when and if, you know, EB3 for India and China, both in and final action and, and dates of filing are gonna gonna move. That that continues to be a question. We continue to hear rumors of the possibility of some movement, uh, but I still go back to and, and look at uh, what what would create forward movement in EB three and, and if there's a significant amount of upgrades that have occurred, would that potentially shift EB three maybe over August or September? I think that that continues to remain a possibility. But when I still look at the number demand and the number of availables, um, the, the demand still outweighs what was available. So I still am of the assumption um, that we're not going to see movement as it relates to uh, India and China and EB2 for, for final action and dates of filing. Um, I, again, I think we'll see maybe a month of movement for China again for EB2 uh, for final action and for dates of filing. Of course, India EB2 continues to be the most difficult to predict because of how fluid it is um, and because of, of really the amount of individuals that are falling under this documentarily qualified. And then we go back and start to look at the I-140 approval numbers. Um, so again, I think that there's a possibility that we could see, um, you know, 30 days of forward movement possibly in dates of filing at a minimum. Um, if, if there is more than that, if it gets to maybe that two month mark, we may see two to three months of movement from final action. 
Um, but it, if I'm looking at it holistically, it feels like for September, we're going to see uh, India EB2 final action and, and dates of filing most likely mirror each other. So the question becomes, is that going to be February, March, or, or maybe as far as April of 2015? Uh, so wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of a sneak peek as to, to where I am currently um, on the August Visa Bulletin. Um, of course, I, I do want to mention, um, you know, I know that there are some of you out there who do check for EB4 for El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Uh, of course, we saw forward movement um, a little over a half of a year, a little about six months of forward movement that occurred in final action. Um, and it also occurred in dates of filing, just a little under six months, 176 days uh, for EB4 for El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Um, so that was interesting. That's that's taking back uh, some of the significant retrogression that we saw, which was almost 700 days of retrogression um, that we saw in, in March. Uh, so... You know, interesting to see EB4 creeping back up. That says that the those that are documentarily qualified and the demand, there was still some availability. Uh, I'll be interested to see if there is any movement that occurs in August. I'm not thinking that there will be. I think those dates will hold. Um, but when we look at Mexico for EB4, uh, which has not had any movement now um, going back to 2021, uh, the question becomes, may, will we see possibly some movement from Mexico EB4 either in August or September? Um, and I think that when, when I look at some of the, the demand and the availables, um, it looks like I still expect Mexico EB4 to, to hold. Um, but that, that could change as well. We could see some movement maybe in September. So there is my sneak peek again at um, uh, the... Uh, the August Visa Bulletin look ahead. Um, I wanted to just, uh, you know, give you some insight and, and let you know, you know, check back Friday. I'll be putting out the, the H1B guy forecasts. Uh, so you can check that out on Friday, uh, July the 1st. Um, but if you have questions, comments, thoughts, opinions on what you're thinking about the August Visa Bulletin, I would love to hear from you. Uh, I haven't heard a lot over the last few weeks of uh, the retrogression rumors um, that it had been, you know, growing uh, for October, November of 2022. But but we'll continue to monitor and keep our, our ears very close to the ground um, to see, you know, if, if or when, um, you know, if that's going to remain a possibility. I don't believe it will. Um, as of right now, but again, you know, this continues to be a, a very fluid situation, right? And one that, that continues to, to evolve, um, you know, very quickly uh, from, from month to month. So wanted to ask you if you haven't already to please like this video, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on our second anniversary show, June 29th, 2022. Um, if you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function here during the live stream. Or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date um, via the H1B Guy podcast or here on YouTube, um, there is a super thanks function um, that's relatively new to YouTube 
um, that, that you can also provide your support here um, that allows me to continue to upgrade the technology that's involved in producing uh, this, uh, the live streams that we do, as well as the other uh, edited and produced content that I put out. Um, I do want to jump into your questions and comments um, over the next 10 minutes here. So please feel free if you have questions or comments. Um, I definitely want to go ahead and, and jump into those. Um, I see several already in the chat. So if you have questions or comments that you want me to get, please, 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 please be sure to drop those in there. I'd love to know what your thoughts are around the August Visa Bulletin. If you think I'm off, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm right, I uh, would love to know what, uh, what, what some of you are thinking out there. So uh, let's jump into these questions and comments. Hey, JCP Ready, how are you? Uh, hi, congrats on two years. My question is your thoughts on the August Visa Bulletin for EB2. Will final action move past January 2015? Another question on the bulletin release date. Yeah. Um, so as I was mentioning earlier, right, I, I think at a minimum, I, I do think we're going to see at least 30 days of forward movement for final action for India EB2. So that would put it at January 1st. Um, but I don't think it's going to move past mid-January. However, it might. And if it did, it would be February 1st. Um, I don't think USCIS over the next couple of, of months, based on their number reporting to the Department of State, um, would, would show numbers that would require the Department of State to have the visa bulletin on like an 8th or a 15th or a 22nd. We've seen that before. Um, when USCIS breaks up the month quarterly, and that's based on number use, uh, dependent on priority dates. Um, so yeah, I think September probably is more likely for you. Um, but if we see dates of filing move, uh, 90 days, for example, then I would have to think that final action would move most likely 60 days, which would put it right in the mark for you, um, JCP ready. So thank you for your question. Um, your other question around the visa bulletin release date. Um, you know, I think if we look at historically what's been going on with the new regime, we've seen them moving the release date a lot earlier uh, in the month. So I'm thinking sometime in that second week of August. Um, uh, I haven't narrowed down the exact date, but but I think sometime in that second week of August is most likely when we'll see the release date for the August Visa Bulletin. Hey, Fahim, how are you? Congratulations on completing two years. My question is regarding the second H-1B lottery this year. Are there any updates? No, and, and I hit on this a little bit earlier, Fahim, and uh, if you're still around, you know, definitely wanted to, to answer your question here. Um, again, which is to say, you know, the deadline's tomorrow, right? And as I've been talking about here during these live streams over the last six weeks or so, uh, I still believe that there will be a second random selection held. The reason why I say that is I'm expecting the application rate to be somewhere around 58%, uh, which would give USCIS anywhere between 12 to 15,000. Uh, H-1Bs that would still need to be legally allocated. Um, so that means that it would necessitate 
the need for a second random selection to be held. And if that second random selection were held, um, I'm guessing that that's going to occur anywhere between July 22nd and August 5th. Um, of course, I'll be actively monitoring the situation. Some of you most likely will know before I do. And I just ask that if you hear something, if you see your, your case or your status change on my USCIS, your my USCIS account, please, please, please let me know so that I can communicate it out to everyone so that everyone can check their account to see if they were one of the lucky ones selected in the second lottery for fiscal year 2023. Hey, nice Hindi songs. How are you? Thanks for joining the live stream again here today. Really appreciate your continued support. Uh, based on my experience for Interfile, which one is faster in processing uh, with the I-45J or without the supplemental J form? I, I've heard most are using the J form, um, but I would definitely make sure that you ask your attorney what they're advising. Um, if you want to run that by me, please feel free. Uh, but uh, again, I, I believe that that most are, are utilizing the, the J. Hey, Venkata, I got to know attorney um, and have much more information about H-1B filing details. Yeah, um, you've got until tomorrow to have that FedEx tracking number. Um, if you, your, your application's not already been submitted, tomorrow is your deadline. Um, nice Cindy Song says, hey, hello, H-1B guy. Thank you for doing this based on my experience for Interfile. Uh, which one is faster, trigger transfer from NBC, uh, from uh, from LIN, SRC, and processing with supplemental J or without it? Again, as I said, I, I think I'd take the J route. Um, I would absolutely make sure that you consult with your attorney. I'm sure you've had some friends that have probably gone through this as well recently. Uh, but my experience is, is that 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 J is um, is the best approach. And again, that's just what I've heard. That's uh, an opinion. That's not legal advice. It's just what I've heard. Hey, Jijati, how are you? Uh, many congratulations for two years. I'm on Canada, but don't have U.S. visa, but having I-140. Can I come back to the U.S. again? Thanks. So great question. Um, the biggest thing for you, having that I-140 approval, um, is that you left the U.S. with at least one day remaining on your H-1B before it expired. So if you left the U.S. at least with a day remaining on your previously issued H-1B before it expired, and you have a copy of your previously approved I-140, you could absolutely target employers that are open to H-1B transfer, H-1B change of employer. And they would file that H-1B change of employer along with your I-140, a copy of your I-140 approval, which would allow them to request uh, a maximum of three years. The biggest thing for you, though, uh, Jijati, when you come in is, is they're going to refile, need to refile a new perm labor certification for you. So I just would make sure that any employer that, that you're talking to, um, that, that they're aware that, that you will require a new perm labor certification. Just be upfront with them so that they know what the expectation is from you before you join them. Okay. Um, but glad to hear that you're looking to come back into the U.S. I know a lot of folks are doing the opposite. They're looking to move to Canada instead. Um, but, uh, you know, please let me know if, um, if you are able to, to, to take this, this approach. 
I'd be curious to know, did you leave the U.S. with at least a day remaining on, on your previously issued H-1B? And if you did, then then you should be in a situation where um, you, you could potentially look at a change of employer um, on your previously issued H-1B with your I-140 approval notice. Uh, JCP Ready asked, what are the I-140 approval I want numbers that have been approved. You know the current inventory for E2. So again, I was going back to and referring to the 2014-2015 numbers uh, for EB2. And in 2014, there were approved 25,634. In 2015, there were 32,702. And then in 2016, 49,054. This is for India EB2 specifically that I'm talking about. Um, so that's why I believe when I start to look at it, um, and, and I don't have all of the act, exact dates in front of me for uh, of this 32,702 as to when those priority dates were issued. Um, but what I would tell you is that it leads me to believe that USCIS is most likely looking to get about a third of the way through that 32,702 from, from fiscal year 2015. Uh, and I think what would be of interest to a lot of you out there who, who do keep up with this data um, is, is just to know that 2016 um, at the data that I'm looking at, 2009 to 2010, 2016, that 49,054 was the largest number of EB2 approved I-140s um, that, that occurred. So uh, again, that leads me to believe that we're going to see some of this advancement occurring in 2015 um, over the next couple of months. And, and then we could see a little bit of a slowdown and I don't expect a lot of advancement in 2023. I don't expect 2023 to get too far into 2016 just based on the sheer numbers. I hope that helps answer your question. Hey, Shardul, how are you? I was curious to hear your thoughts and comments on day one CPT H-1B approvals. What has your experience been with individuals that completed day one CPT, went back to their home country for stamping? Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for you is that you've got the H-1B approval. That's the best advice that I can give you is, uh, is, is, to, is to not leave the U.S. unless you have an H-1B approval. Um, and if you're going to leave the U.S. and going back to your home country, make sure that your appointment is within the next two weeks. Okay. I think that's the biggest uh, biggest thing that I can advise you here, Shardul, is to make sure that um, in, in the next two, if you're going to be traveling, whenever that is, is that your appointment that you have is within that two-week time frame or that you've already been accepted for a Dropbox. Um, but having the approval would be my best advice for you uh, before you even commit to booking your plane ticket having the approval and then having the appointment set up or the Dropbox confirmation set up. Um, just, uh, just make sure that you have that approval. You have that in hand. You've got your certified LCA. You have all the appropriate letters um, and that everything is in line for you before you decide to set, set foot outside of the U S 
Um, SNH asked, what's my prediction for EB2 Visa Bulletin? Do I think it will regress? Not for August. No, I don't. Uh, not for September. And it's beginning to feel like to me, I, I don't foresee um, a lot of, of retrogression as we head into fiscal year 2023. But I think that we'll get a good insight on that um, kind of through the September and August bulletins. Uh, JCP says, thanks. Yes, it does. Would love to see your analysis on how you come up with predictions. <laughs> They're completely made up guesses this is what they are. Um, I've talked about this a lot. Um, I've tracked the visa bulletin going all the way back to 2012. Um, I just have kind of an instinctual feel for it. I don't always get it right. Um, I do a lot of research into it. I look at the number calculations and what's available. Um, I really would love if USCIS would provide uh, some of the transparency on the reporting on the number of adjustment of statuses that they processed in, in Q2. That would help me a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're hunches and they're made up guesses. Um, and I think honestly, it's just, it's, it's instinct, right? It's a, it's a feel. Um, and it's a feel because I've been following it now for the better part of, of 10 years. I hope that answers your question. Um, so wanted to just say thank you to everyone one last time. Um, of course, if you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B guy platform, if you're watching this at a later date, you can do so through the super thanks function. Um, you know, it has been my privilege and my absolute honor um, over these last two years to be your global source for all things H1B. Um, as we continue to advocate and fight for the green card, uh, clearing the green card backlog and the removal of country caps as it relates to employment-based preferences, um, I want to leave you all with some, some things that I've learned for advocacy. And a lot of what I'm seeing out here are advocacy groups attacking other advocacy groups. And I want to warn you that that kind of division is exactly what folks who want to keep uh, the current archaic laws in place want you to be doing. And so I ask you to open your mind and open your heart and realize that we're all fighting for equality here. Yes, we understand what the root cause is, and the root cause is that 7% cap on country of birth as it relates to employment-based green cards. We understand how we got here, and we understand that there are many options for resolution, but ultimately attacking others is not going to benefit anyone or your own personal cause. And I just ask that let's please be respectful of others as it we work through and navigate these very complex and archaic laws that we currently have here in the U.S. as it relates to employment-based immigration. Hey, Rom, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations. Wishing you many more anniversaries. Rom, thanks, man. You're a, a great friend and a, a huge supporter, and I just really appreciate you jumping in um, this live stream here today. Um, so, like I said, be on the lookout Friday, the H-1B guy forecast, uh, the August visa bulletin, August 2022 visa bulletin predictions. Uh, I have some really big things in store over the next couple of months that I can't wait to announce. Um, so be on the lookout for those announcements. I'll be putting those out as I get confirmations on them. Um, I wanted to just, again, thank everyone who has subscribed to the H-1B guy channel who follows me on Twitter, who is a follower connection on LinkedIn, 
who is a follower on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, is involved in my Telegram channel. Thank you so much. Those of you who check out the h1bguy.com, thank you. I cannot do this without your continued support, and, and I really appreciate it. Um, but I wanted to make sure that we thank our sponsors, and that is uh, these live streams are brought to you by Synthesis and Path to Canada. Uh, they provide an ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you want to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also by Carl Balsmeyer, my good friend at perm-ads.com. They're the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment advertising phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your cost and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let my friend Carl and his team at perm-ads.com help you. And also by my good friends Arif Kamani and his team at Mob Squad. If you're a technology professional that's facing U.S. work visa-related challenges, maybe your OPT visa is about to expire, maybe you weren't selected in the H-1B lottery or your employer is not going to submit your H-1B application, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada and technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six to eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how Arif and his team at excuse me, please find out how our fitness team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Uh, one last time, just wanted to ask you to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for joining this live stream or watching this video at a later date. I really appreciate your support. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.